Welcome. Okay, welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and hermaphrodites. Fellow slaves of the global plantation, the Vinnie Eastwood Show is bad news. It's like the news, but worse. It's the lighter side of genocide. Just because we're being exterminated doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point of being killed? The Vinnie Eastwood Show, where the only thing worse than living in a high-tech global police state run by child-trafficking Satanists is Vinnie's jokes. Welcome to another exciting episode, ladies and gentlemen. I have a very special guest uh, waiting in the wings, uh, Mr. Paul Abramowitz, and we'll be cutting to him in uh, just a few moments here. In the meantime, just a uh, quick update on the Vinnie Eastwood show. Last night we were at the uh, River of Lies premiere in uh, Auckland here, a little uh, documentary that my mate Billy TK, who I was arrested with uh, two years ago, uh, and we still haven't had our trial finished by the way and it's costing a hell of a lot of money so donate at the veneastwoodshow.com and uh, riveroflies.co.nz to just sort of expose uh, the things that are going on uh, with the uh, so-called pandemic so please uh, go and show your support there'll be uh, screenings around the country upcoming and maybe even a tour uh, with me and uh, Billy Mrs. Permission permitting now uh, my very special guest, uh, Paul Abramowitz, is uh, with us here today, live in the middle of the night, thanks to Time Zones from South Africa, and I'm very grateful to have him here. Paul, welcome to the frickin' broadcast, mate. Thank you, Vinny. Damn good to be with you. I get that a lot. Now, could you please tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? So, um, I think the part of Part of what I do that you're interested in is um, I've just completed a, uh, a book, which I wish I would have found many years ago, which is uh, covering the sexual hardwiring of the male brain, um, particularly the heterosexual male brain. Um, I am trained as a periodontist uh, as well, the medical science of oral surgery, um, and completed a PhD in human sexuality some years ago. Um, was involved for a long time in uh, men's consciousness work and discovered a missing part of the conversation, both in the therapeutic spaces, uh, developmental spaces, workshop spaces, and that is how it is that we manage as men um, once we become sexed and become um, designed, shall we say, by biology to, to become reproducers uh, for the species. Sorry, guys, I had my uh, mic on mute. So how exactly does that break down? Could you, could you really just give it to us from the beginning? Yeah, so... <clears throat> um, we are designed in utero, let's say six weeks in utero, with the first splash or, or tsunami of testosterone, which begins to differentiate the male and female body. 
And um, there are a number of splashes of testosterone as we move towards puberty, but essentially the male brain becomes <clears throat> ready to receive the final tsunami of testosterone at about the age of 13. And so we have a um, increasing number of neurons in the brain. We have a increase in the speed which we, these neurons transmit messages and um, we have a pruning that happens at about the age of 26 but while all of our brains are busy developing as as young men we're also pressed towards a sexual tension um, the semen or the sperm needs to get to the egg and in a female physiology there is a very predictable way in which the egg comes into the fallopian tube but biology or what i call our reproductive biology intelligence has to get the sperm out and what i noticed is that there are a number of behaviors that are cross-cultural and trans-historical that we as men and particularly heterosexual men have been identified as being able to blend into or become as we go through puberty and move into our uh, adolescence and 20s, 30s, 40s and, and 50s. And that's because we are driven towards heightened and frequent, more intense sexual desire as young boys. And so we are driven to masturbate two or three times a day. We are driven to fantasies, as I mentioned, and to ejaculation. And all of that tends to create deep grooves in our consciousness, awareness. And when we come to the age of 26, none of that gets pruned away. Everything that we haven't used gets pruned away. And we are left with essentially the adolescent markings of a sexed, sexed being. That impacts our consciousness, our awareness. It impacts every aspect of our values, our behavior, our beliefs, and our attitudes, and certainly behaves the way that we connect with women. I call it a holographic hypersexual hyperspace that we are, that we are literally born into at that age uh, during puberty. Um, so... What do you what do you actually uh, think is the cause of this? You say it's just the uh, testosterone; it's just a natural cycle. Absolutely, absolutely. So we live in a in a pretty phenomenal biological being. Uh, there are thirty, sorry, there are forty to fifty trillion cells that operate automatically in us, and. There are 12 systems in our body, you know, our lymphatic system, our cardiovascular system, respiratory system, etc. But our reproductive system is the only system in our body that actually requires another body to live its full potential. And biology doesn't leave anything up to our discretion to a degree to make sure that the sperm-to-egg opportunity happens. And for women, this predictability has been pretty well delineated in terms of the menstrual cycle, the formation of the egg, and the dropping of the egg into the fallopian tube. But the sperm needs to get there. And so 
if we look at um, some very important studies, uh, one in particular from from 2001 by a fellow called Roy Baumeister, he looked at 156 studies which show that men do in fact have more frequent, more intense sexual desire, that we fantasize more about sex, we tend towards masturbation more, we action more towards sex as an outcome, we find it more difficult to say no to sex, and regarding actual sexual engagement, we prefer more sexual partners, we tend to. I must be clear here, I talk about tendencies and not generalizations. It's, it's, it's important to recognize, not to generalize, that there are some women who fall into the sphere of men and there are some men who fall into the sphere of, of women. So my, my point is that the reproductive biological intelligence creates an environment where we fall into the type of indices that Baumeister is talking about. However, in order to fulfill biology's role, our attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs also have to be impacted. And these are, these are the lesser spoken about um, aspects of our persona as men and as young men. Um, which are taken into account in the workshop space, in the therapy space. In other words, what I discovered from having been involved in transformational work for almost 15 years with hundreds of men is that a large chunk of our awareness is our sexual awareness. So biology not only determines our sexual our reality, uh, our sexual reality, but our entire reality sexually. And that's part of the hardwiring conversation that hasn't really happened, or at least I found it not to have happened um, for the men in the middle of the bell curve, the non-perpetrators, the non-erectile dysfunction, the non-premature ejaculation, and the non-asexual uh, men, the regular guys in the middle of the bell curve who are looking for ways to bring their sexual awareness up, to bump it up, to up-level it to a place where they've up-leveled their general other awareness like mindfulness or qigong or yoga or whatever mechanism that we use to grow and develop as men. The sexual consciousness conversation has not been had. And it's important that if that is a road that a man chooses, that he, we understand that we live in a body that is designed in a way to distract us sexually and to take our attention elsewhere and to, frankly, at certain times of our life, make us do crazy things. When we're talking about uh, sex, we're, it's used in so many forms, including as a weapon. And yeah. uh, because of the power, I was having a conversation with some guys uh, the other day and they were talking about the differential in uh, men and women's power regarding sex. Yeah. And uh, a man who is a billionaire has, has worked for a very long time. He might be pretty old. And he has a similar amount of power as mm -hmm. an 18-year-old woman who could control mm -hmm. him with sex. 
Yes. Right? And yes. There's, no, there's not an even differential of power. And by the time that 18-year-old woman gets to her 30, her power goes down and down and down. And so there's a, there's yeah. a limited lifespan of sort of sexual appeal. A, a, one might call yeah. it an inequality, but I yeah. would just say it's a, it's a natural form of undulation that happens. And uh, I think that if you are talking about sexual energy... How important is it uh, to the survival of species that that, for, to a degree, be contained? Because I think it was uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about in a society that does not have monogamy, then 20% of the men will get 80% of the women. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> let me come back to your first your first point because it's a nice point. It's a nice point to make. It seems to be. Um, and and also what social social media has done is um, is create this this term called high value high value individuals and the men of high value are, are defined as as being you know wealthy successful the women of high value are defined as being uh, extremely attractive like twelve twelve out of tens and. Um, Someone who's done a lot of work on this uh, a podcaster from Dubai, Sadia Khan, speaks beautifully about how these particular high-value indices don't necessarily make for great relationships, and it's why a lot of a lot of relationships end after the first years because these these two types of so-called high-value individuals don't necessarily blend into the group of people who communicate, who are compassionate, who are really looking to create long-term relationships. So I think, to your point, um, you will often see an older man with a very attractive woman, but you don't really see very attractive, um, very attractive women with men that are not particularly successful. So there is... There is perhaps a biological um, correlation that you can make there as well, and that is that the adolescent male sex brain is sort of left in place to some degree because, as I mentioned, at the age of 26, the brain is pruned. Whatever is not used is removed. Whatever is used, which is a lot of fantasy, a lot of tendency towards actioning towards sexuality, sex, is, is left behind. So a man tends to find younger women very attractive as as he gets older. Um, a younger a, a woman is is more or less biologically designed not only to be a sexual being but also to be a nurturer. And so it feels like security is important uh, for for many women. And so they will often tend towards the men who are more financially financially stable so there is a degree of biology that plays out um to your to your first to your first point if you can explain your second point again just to to ask that question again about jordan's uh jordan's point about monogamy um he was talking about how in a society with no monogamy 
uh, that 20% of the men will get 80% of the women, and then you'll have 80% of men uh, fighting over the last remaining 20% of the women, and there would be uh, a kind of uh, resentment and, and sort of uh, chaos and, and things of that nature that really ensue. And he made yeah. the point that uh, monogamous marriage and uh, relationships is... Uh, in many ways necessarily better for the man, better for the woman, and yep. better for society. And uh, how does these uh, unconscious uh, <clears throat> sexual uh, sort of desires and fantasies and, and things of that nature play out? I mean, mm. in France and in Japan, uh, there's a uh, a culture whereby you uh, you kind of stop having sex with your man after you have marriage and have children, and it's permissible for them to go out and have mistresses and uh, things of that nature. Whatever you're not yeah. getting at home, uh, yeah. you will try uh, uh, and and go get that elsewhere. So I'm just kind of yeah. like wondering about about that uh, dynamic. Um, as it plays psychologically, not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, to the individual, but also uh, to the wider whole, how do these uh, cultures work and that kind yeah. of thing. I'm very curious about. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's useful to talk about uh, monogamous relationships. And, and I would say that the generative, regenerative, passionate and kind, compassionate, heterosexual monogamous relationship is 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 quite rare actually it's um it's a small percentage of the population and i'm talking about after after the honeymoon phase Vinny. so there is a tendency after the honeymoon phase when the hormones reduce and the projections you know this person's going to save my life reduce reality sets in that we tend to move towards um, wondering what else is going on outside of our relationship. What else can some, somebody else bring me? So I think that the the monogamous relationship or the heterosexual one is is the kind one and the, the functional one and the passionate one is a bit of a masterpiece and a bit of a rarity. If you look at um, divorce rates, you were asking how do the how does how does our bio, how do some of our biological tendencies play into the the fantasy or the the hope of these monogamous relationships? In actual fact, um, my take on that is that these tend to disrupt the healthy monogamous monogamous relationship. Um, men men tend to be distracted by what's outside of the relationship. Um, I don't know if you know, but there's a, there's, a, there's a place in our hypothalamus called the medium preoptic center, which is a mate spotting area. And already in six weeks in utero, that area is developed, begun to develop two and a half times bigger than a woman's medium preoptic area. That means that, that we're far more likely to be distracted um, by something that's new and something that's exciting and so theoretically uh, sorry guys we'll have to pick up that point just after the break you listen to the Vinnie Eastwood show on Republic Broadcasting Prime Suspect right here Einstein the Future medicine will be the medicine of frequencies what did he know 
Imagine you hear ocean waves caressing a beach, or a favorite song from the past, or the trickle of the babbling brook. All of these are sound frequencies that positively affect us. Terahertz is a soothing, healing frequency that has been proven to resonate at the same frequency as healthy cells. It penetrates the body and stimulates new healthy cell growth. Want to diminish muscle aches, joint pains, and experience a greater sense of well-being? Tired of spending money on short-term remedies that never seem to work? Soothing, healing, relaxing terahertz frequency is now available and as handy as flipping a switch. Terahertz technology is changing the course of what we were taught about how to maintain our health and well-being. To read more about this amazing breakthrough and to order your terahertz frequency want, go to naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Do you truly want to stay out of the system? Are you prepared to buy into the biggest scam since the Iraqi dinar? If not, then put your money where it belongs, in your possession, not in the hands of an international MLM cartel. At Kettle Moraine Limited, we will provide you with the finest Swiss-minted detachable gram sheets of pure 24-karat gold for hundreds of dollars less than the so-called privately-issued credit cards with elusive gold backing. Gold backing... The only gold that I want is in my back pocket, not backed by promises of an operation even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is suspect of, giving a rating of C-. To get the full story, visit SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com and go to the Valcombi Bullion Vault. Once you have read the whole story about the scam being perpetrated on an unsuspecting public and how you can avoid being a victim by purchasing these beautiful, barterable, tradable sheets of gold at tremendous savings and in the strictest of privacy, be prepared to take the steps to protect your wealth with the purchase of the real deal. Detachable 50-gram gold bars from Kettle Moraine Limited by calling 602-799-8214. Ask about our one-ounce Valcombi detachable bars, which break into one-tenth ounce bars. And don't forget, for all of your precious metal needs, whether buying or having the need to sell, call Kettle Moraine Limited. Remember, no dinar, no celery, and no carrots. If you buy from someone else... Tell them you want AU, not BS. Call Kettle Moraine LTD today at 602-799-8214. Kettle Moraine LTD, Gentlemen, to the show that's all about getting your Luftwaffe aloft, it's the Thinny Eastwood Show. And my very special guest is Paul Abro, Paul Abramowitz, and we're talking about the, uh, well, those um, 
things that usually don't get discussed outside of porn, really. Thank you very much for your time here, here Paul, uh, uh, especially uh, late in the evening. We've only got another um, 37 minutes in the broadcast, so let's not waste uh, too much time. Ladies and gentlemen, please go to thevinneeastwoodshow.com forward slash latest uh, for the latest archives and uh, subscribe to the uh, various channels that we have there, Rumble, Odyssey, and uh, BitChute for those ad-free archives. Uh, uh, rather than the live broadcast that we have here. So, Paul, welcome back. And we were talking about a monogamous relationship. So, please Thanks, continue. Vinny. Thanks, Vinny. So, I think perhaps one of the one of the challenging aspects of of um, of the monogamous relationship is that we've all grown up with a lot of fairy tales. So, Hollywood movies, uh, poetry, music. You think about um, you think about one of the one of the love songs that you like to listen to, but you don't know actually that probably the chap that wrote it or the woman that wrote it may have broken up with their partner, you know, a week after they wrote it. So we're listening to, you know, ongoing melodies and lyrics of situations that are sometimes not sustainable uh, and even sometimes not maintainable um, in the short term. And the the way that that impacts us from a very young age makes us look towards unrealistic outcomes and expect the other, our partner, to be our everything, to to bring us absolutely all um, in a in a form of some, some codependence or whatnot. So unbundling ourselves from these narratives, I call it the relationship industrial complex or the relationship and sex industrial complex um, because those who are selling things know what it is that we're very willing to buy. The problem is that in, in real terms, uh, in a, as I say, in a more sustained way, it really, it really becomes past the honeymoon phase. It becomes a far more challenging space and a space where each partner is invited to do some work on themselves. And often that's where people tend to duck out of the relationship. So with that in mind, you'll have to forgive me. I'm having a little bit of problem with the, uh, the system back here. Uh, with that in mind, if, if we've got unrealistic uh, expectations that are uh, propagated through this fantasy. Um, that would imply that there's an industry that benefits from this, right? Uh, yes. Divorce lawyers, for one. Uh, yes. But there'd be... A, I mean, would there be an agenda there? Because uh, if... If I tried to convince everybody of something that just wasn't true, and tried to get them all to uh, do something that, that that I know for a fact that they couldn't make work. Uh, I'd be sowing the seeds of destruction in the in the population, wouldn't I? Because I'd be uh, uh, placing a um, a veil over people's understanding, and that would create chaos. Chaos that I can come in and propose the solution to and be the beneficiary of uh, that chaos and of itself. Is, is that what's going on here? Like how, how, how does that manifest? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that the industry is um, malevolent. It's simply 
discovered a way that is, again, transcultural and transhistorical that, that we buy into as human beings because the message, the message that they offer does seem to work in the first year or so of a relationship. Um, and there is, there is a particular attractiveness to the message that they're offering. There's a particular addiction and a, a beautiful high that we get from the beginning of a relationship. Uh, the problem is that there isn't a lot of conversation about sort of what to do next. And then so into the divorce lawyers and the the separation space. As far as I can tell, our human species hasn't hasn't developed a library of information of what certainly heterosexual couples can do in order to come to an awareness, take the so-called red tablets, come to an awareness that um, that they've just gone through the honeymoon phase. And now there is a very rich and developmental stage ahead um, where self-development invites us to become the next best version of ourselves and to bring that to our partner. So perhaps we're in the beginning stages of, of, of making that, uh, that exploration. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, well, well, no, actually, we can't continue sweet, because we're coming off to a break. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, perfect time to freaking leave it there, mate. We'll be right back after right. this. Like, yeah. the public podcast. Oh, I feel for a sweet Yeah. Oh, freedom won't make it. No. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shiloji hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shiloji Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shiloji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajit by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilajit literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilajit has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm onto something here. 
I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Antelope Hill Publishing is America's leading publisher of dissident books, bringing you a wide variety of new translations and original works on every subject, from the funding behind the transgender movement to firsthand memoirs of World War II previously inaccessible to English-speaking audiences. We publish books that mainstream publishers won't touch, full of information that challenges the political status quo. Whether you count yourself as a political dissident, student of history, connoisseur of philosophy, or enthusiast of exciting and thought-provoking fiction, you owe it to yourself to check out our catalog. With exclusive offerings like The Transgender Industrial Complex, Solzhenitsyn and the Right, The Open Society Playbook, Opioids for the Masses, and many more, there's something for everyone, and new titles are added every month. Check out our catalog today at antelopehillpublishing.com and use code RBNREADERS2023 for 10% off your order. That's RBNREADERS2023 at antelopehillpublishing.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that's all about having a happy birthday. It's the Vinnie Eastwood Show, and my very special guest, uh, Paul Abramowitz, is uh, breaking down the truth about sex and biology and monogamy. And now we're going to talk about that most interesting of topics, which I'm sure everybody is thirsting to hear about, pornography. The porn industry is massive uh, at the moment, and... Uh, what's interesting is that so many people watch it and not everybody knows that pretty much everybody is watching it. Like it, it's, it's become so freaking pervasive, uh, in society now. And they're even talking about showing it to children. So let's, let's get into that with, uh, uh, Paul here. What's, what's your take on the porn industry there, Paul? Well, again, Benny, the, um, the response to the porn industry, um, to my mind, um, s- s- strips back to our biological inclination, uh, particularly as men, the um, the inclination to um, be distracted and to find lots of different images of uh, nude women exciting and, and interesting. So we can correlate that to um, dopamine surges in the brain. And we can understand, too, why it becomes extremely addictive. The predicament that we have as a society is, um, you know, I'm not sure how old you are, but you and I probably grew up with um, with less um, access to steady stream of porn. Um, there's lots of research to show that there's a lot of damage that happens to the um, the values and the understanding of young men's interpretation of their own sex and sexuality. If they watch, for example, um, you know, m- more women than 
in one night or two nights than their ancestors ever saw uh, nude. The human brain is not really designed for that, certainly not a human brain that is looking to find some um, intimacy and and happiness with uh, with a monogamous relationship. So, to my mind, we're in a massive experiment right now, particularly kids who've grown up with the tablets in their hand, boys of nine, ten, eleven, you know, watching porn, sharing sharing um, selfies of themselves um, by the time they get to fourteen or fifteen. Um, what what the outcome of that is that they struggle with erectile dysfunction um, when they get to uh, sexually active age. And they also, because they've been watching pornography, which by the way is a, is generally staged. It's an, it's an, you know, an acting profession. Um, the pornography becomes both their arouser and their teacher. Um, and the problem is that when they bring what they see to their partner or to a new partner, it becomes <clears throat> often rather disinteresting uh, and and sometimes disturbing. Um, there are stories of of you know women being strangled and not not to death but um, asphyxiated um, because boys watch that and they think that that's really what women like. But the porn industry is set up to to create a form of of entertainment rather than a form of um, education. So that's my short take on on the on the porn industry. It's not an ally if uh, if one is looking for 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 proper intimacy, connection, communication, uh, presence, all of those things that lead to more extraordinary sexual engagement uh, with a partner. Where do you find the place between communication and 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 sex really is in a relationship uh, that's monogamous? Where, where's the balance? The, the balance between communication and sex. Yeah, I mean, how much communicating do you need to do, and how much sex do you need to have? Is there is there a need for you? Know? Well, you definitely need to have sex in order to have communication. I assume you're talking about um, each each partner communicating what their likes and dislikes are. That what mm. you're talking about, yes. So, um, once once past the honeymoon phase, or even in the honeymoon phase, or even when, when partners are starting out together, it's good to have a space to, to communicate your experience and to be compassionate and understanding when doing that. And often not the place to do it is in the heat of the moment, unless something rather dire is happening in the heat of the moment. Um, but to have a time outside of the bedroom where communication happens, you know, you know, I love what we tried last night. This was the impact on me. Um, this was great. This was not, can we try it this way? Um, there, there is, there are masterful ways of, of learning communication around sexuality because each of us will bring our own shame and guilt and um, secrecy to our intimate space and so you know it's easy it's easy to get triggered in that space because we're very vulnerable in that space and so it's it's useful for couples to figure out where they want to have that conversation 
and how they want to have that conversation and to give honest and, and clear feedback around what's working and you know what's what's not really working. But it is important communication, no doubt about it. Mm. So when it comes down to uh, relationships and how, how people are living them, is there an ideal that should uh, be strived towards? Because you talked about taking that next level. Um, yeah. And what I uh, gathered from, I think, uh, David Data's work, the, uh, the Way of the Superior Man, is that women are non-temporal. It means they're without time. Okay, if yep. you, for example, uh, uh, spent an entire week lavishing her with love and working really hard, and uh, you're exhausted from it, and then you sit down and uh, watch some TV, and she comes in and she's immediately angry with you because, uh, as far as she's concerned, that's all you're doing and that's all you're ever going to do and that's all yep. you've ever done because they don't see time uh, like men do. Can you can you uh, uh, describe that? Uh, a dynamic. Yeah, beautiful question. I think <clears throat> again, it's it's good to go back to the concept of tendencies rather than generalizations, um, and and say all women are or all men are this or that. I think I think it depends very much on the tendency of of the woman that you're that you're with, and to discover you know what it is, and not to make assumption um, based on the fact that she is in a female physiology that she's going to be a particular way and that's why I like the word tendencies um, the the mastering or the next level of of a heterosexual relationship is is really about applying some curiosity to to who the person is that you've become attracted to what that means is that um, it means that we move beyond the original spark that happened that may be changing by this time now and that we begin to ask questions and to discover deeply who who that person is and hopefully she will also want to do the same um, with us. And so that requires a certain level of yielding, perhaps former secrecy that we've brought into relationships that it, it, it it asks for a particular vulnerability and risk-taking. And that's where relationships start to become really exciting in a very different kind of a way. Because the next level of relationship is inviting both man and woman to step into a more senior place of masculine and feminine, or man and woman, out, out of the adolescent past ways that we've kind of made work in our past relationships but haven't really because we're not in them anymore so it's a place of risk a place of vulnerability and a place of learning a different kind of communication um, because acknowledging that really we are quite different men and women and so you know gay relationships have the great benefit of sharing the same physiology, so there's a there's a, a wonderful understanding between the couple immediately, and probably a very similar emotional background as well. So that's another beautiful uh, synchronicity that 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 gay couples will find. And I heard I heard the other day on a podcast, and I I need to check this out um, properly. But there's there's more uh, difference between a man and a woman than there is between the human species and our closest chimpanzee from a DNA point of view. 
Okay, I'll just say that again because I see you, I see the surprise on your face. There's more <clears throat> difference between a man and a woman from a DNA point of view than there is between the human species and our closest chimpanzee. Now, when you consider the fact that heterosexual relationships require this difference to be entirely overlooked to some degree, or at least the kind of heterosexual relationships that have been sold to us up until this point, that actually we're basically the same, and therefore we should just get on with it, um, has been, to my mind, quite destructive, because couples would perhaps do well to know and to be curious about the differences, not to change the other person, but to seek what those differences are and to celebrate the differences and to find middle grounds so that the man-woman relationship can evolve to this place that you're asking about, which is the more evolved place. Because, no, we're, we're actually quite different. How does that evolution take place? What is the work that needs to be done with the man and the woman to create that higher state? So, really, it invites us to grow up, Vinny, actually. It invites us to grow into adulthood. What does that mean? It means I must take responsibility for who I'm bringing into the relationship. It means I must be accountable for what I think might break this relationship up. It means that if necessary, I should be in therapy. It means that I shouldn't expect my partner to be my healer from that point of view. Um, what does that mean? It means that she's not my therapist. It means that there is a space that I need to go into, either with mates of mine or in the therapy space, um, so that I can go and work on those things, so that I can evaluate those things, so that I can leave the adolescent in, in, a, in, a man's, in a man's language, I can leave the frozen adolescent aspect of myself behind and, and begin to discover. And if, if she's up for it, she's going to support me in that place. She's going to support me and I'm going to support her in that place. I'm going to support the 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 wounds that that she brings from her past relationships and so but she will also be working in an outside space so that both of us can bring our best possible versions to the relationship and in that way there's a there's a state of being i like to call riding the spiral where we're constantly moving upwards out of the loop of you know, mundanity, which can which can grow in relationships. So certainly, risk taking, curiosity, um, and a willingness to to grow into the man or the woman that we are longing to become. Out of the codependent spaces that we've learned in in adolescence. In men, how does that uh, personally manifest in in terms of like a whole life? Uh, uh, rearrangement so what I found fascinating Vinny was that um, what, I, what I still find fascinating is that this conversation that I'm bringing in the book Sext is a disappeared conversation because if we look at all of the aspects that are, are looked at in leadership conferences and workshops um, and 
you know, workshops where you pay $5,000 on a weekend and go and walk on hot coals and start to see your shadow, your Jungian shadow, and understand the hero's journey and all of those beautiful practices. The one missing piece out of all of that is the conversation around how does getting sexed as a man, how does my living in a sexual body actually impact my awareness? And what I what I came to discover through my own research is that there is an emotional sexual body that we take on as we come through puberty. Our emotional sexual body is drawn from, number one, the experiences that we have watching our parents in the, in the home as a child. So we learn about intimacy or not. The second thing is that we develop a response to the great drive which meets us at puberty. And we, we, we respond to that by a number of factors which are present in, in most men. First of all, we develop a secrecy around our sexuality. That bleeds into all aspects of our lives. Uh, it can lead into business secrecy, relationship secrecy. We develop a degree of discipline and self-control where so that there can be a shutting down of our emotional body or our ability to to communicate verbally. And there's often a lot of shame and guilt affiliated with our sexuality, particularly, you know, if we're masturbating a lot as, as young boys. But what's not written about as well is an overarching vulnerability that we have as men around our sexuality. So in old classical writings, they would say the Oedipus complex or the mother complex is a vulnerable aspect of a boy and the penis is a very strong, powerful aspect of the boy. But in actual fact, the penis is both strong, but it's also very vulnerable because it carries with it a very powerful emotional um, sexual aspect which hasn't yet been defined up until the moment that, uh, that I defined it in the book. So therapists are finding it very useful to know that this man sitting in front of them, particularly a woman therapist, has got this other aspect that is able to be harvested and archaeologized. And because it's such a central part of us, our sexuality, when you harvest these aspects that I've just mentioned, shame and guilt around sexuality, secrecy around sexuality, and a man can change these aspects, the whole world starts to change for us as men because these are the central engine rooms of a lot of the shame and guilt in our lives, a lot of the secrecy in our lives, a lot of the vulnerability in our lives. When we look specifically at these aspects as sexual indices, a lot of change, positive change happens for men and changes in our relationship as well. We bring, we bring our best game to our relationships when we're able to do that, no doubt about it. So a man goes from one set of behavior to the other set of behavior. What's, the, what's that start and end point here in, in terms of his development? Finney, there's no end point. Um, there's no end point because if a man is, is, is passionate about developing, as passionate as he is about, let's say, making money or his children, if he's passionate about what I call the politics of one, which is our own inner orbit, then there really isn't a place where the journey stops. It stops when we take you know, our last breath. But when the journey starts, it's easy to begin to see a, a change 
in the way that we see the world as a man, the way that the hologram looks back at us starts to change as we begin to understand ourselves more. And we begin to access this better part of ourselves, which we bring into our relationship. And believe me, a woman in her sensitive state, tendency-wise, picks up on these things. And so there's a flourishing from a different place of this uh, of, of the relationship because very often there's nothing that, that can make a woman you know, more pleased and more often turned on um, to find that certain habits and values and behaviors and beliefs are changing in, in their man. And then she's given the invitation to step up into her senior feminine, her senior way of being, her adult way of being, because she becomes more curious. And so there's this you know, tennis match of curiosity backwards and forwards that, that begins to happen. And so there's this riding of the spiral once again, which moves a couple out of their mundane spaces, the old treaded spaces. Do the do the men need to lead the way kind of like that? I mean, you can't just go, go to your woman, okay, you start changing this and then I'll start changing that. It has to, it yeah. has to be the men taking lead. Spot yeah? on. Spot on. Well, it can be anybody taking the lead. Um, but you have to lead by example, Vinny. You've got to, you know, put the work in yourself, uh, whichever, whichever partner it is. And hopefully you're with a partner who's really keen to also develop and change. But it's not a place of shame and blame or I did this, you should do that. It's, it's a different culture in a sense. It's a different culture of being. Um, as I say, leading by example, by showing that that you've got some skin in the game and that you're that you're wanting to to change and that you believe in the relationship and that you respect and love your partner and you know that's part of the reason why the change is being instituted and that's that's very inspiring. It's very inspiring for your partner. Can can you give an example through through your uh, through your work that where that kind of illustrates that? Well, I'll use porn as an example. For example, I mean, very often couples come to me because the man has um, has been struggling with porn for a long time. The woman feels obviously she can't she can't compete against that. The man is unfulfilled in his. Um, intimacy space with her he has erectile dysfunction um and and that's that's a complete downward spiral so oftentimes in that situation i will work alone with the man and look at the the tendency and the draw towards the porn um and then begin to work uh with the woman and Try and try to excavate the the feelings of distrust and the feelings of not good enough and all of those things so that we can bring them to the surface. And um, at that point, the couple is ready to come together and 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 move beyond. Once once the man has has stopped with the porn and the woman feels trust coming back into the relationship. Um, so that's that's very much a, a to and a fro because the woman the woman needs to regain her trust 
she needs to understand that the man got into the the porn cycle for a number of reasons that may actually have had nothing to do with her. It might have been relief of stress at work, for example, or boredom, um, or any number of reasons. And um, and so once once she sees that he is honestly trying to make um, good men's, she's she's ready to to open herself vulnerably again and and the couple can can move back into uh, an intimate space um away from you know where the, where they came from so that's that's one example and and by the way not an uncommon not an uncommon example uh, and what's your take of the uh, the MGTOW movement, uh, men going their own way and uh, uh, sort of like swearing off women and, and uh, things of that nature? I just think everybody needs to do what they need to do, Vinny. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of there are a lot of men's organisations where you know men have have found a great source of comfort and peace in being in the company of men alone and that's that's great um, if that's if that's what gives them their their quality of life um, i don't I don't think that there are particular heightened states of being that are beyond other states of being. I mean, people people should do what makes them happy as long as they're not harming anybody. Um, I, can, I can understand why men find those places comforting. I can also understand why women would find places where only women hang out comforting and safe. So that also exists, you know, by the way. So... Do you, do you see the in in general that society with with the advent of porn or or uh, I, I, social engineering as well, um, men women have, have we gotten better or worse? Just a quick answer. We're coming to we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, better. We have gotten better. All right. Well, that's a good note to leave it off on. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Paul. Uh, quickly, what what is your website? Website is www.sexed.global. Sexed.global, Paul Abramowitz. Thank you so much for your time today, brother. And thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Uh, I would advise you to go to thevinnieeastwoodshow.com. That's Vinny with a Y because it's the most important question. And Eastwood, like, go ahead, make my news. And go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, make a donation. And we'll see you again next time. Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. 
Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBtalk.com and join the social media revolution. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit republicbroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth.